Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Rebecca F. as in Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Monday, May 6, 2019, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today, we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 2. There is a solution on page 24. We will be reading and commenting on the third paragraph, which begins with, the alcoholic may say to himself and ends with, what's the use anyhow? Today's readers are Anita B., Lindsay W., Barbara E., Lisa B., and Craig F. The share ID number for yesterday, Sunday, May 5th, 2019's meeting is... One thousand. I mean, twelve thousand eight hundred and sixty-three. That's one two eight six three. OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anita B. to read the OA 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. Anita B. here from New Jersey. Here are the steps we took. One, we admitted we're powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people people, wherever possible except what to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
and 12 having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anita B. I will now ask Lindsay W. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Lindsay W., compulsive overeater in Houston, Texas. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, (laughs) ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. I pass. Thanks, Lindsay W. Someone was clearing their throat. Check your phone. Make sure you're muted. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. In chapter two, there is a solution on page 24. We will be reading and commenting on the third paragraph, which begins with, the alcoholic may say to himself and ends with, What's the use anyhow? I will now ask Barbara E. to go ahead and read that for us. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, 
or hears how, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way, and after the third or fourth, pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth, or what's the use anyhow? Sounds like me. All the lies my disease whispered in my ears blotted out all common sense. I had no defense against them. I was powerless. I believed them. I'd been lying to myself for so many years, I didn't even know what the truth was. I suffered from overeating amnesia. I blot out all the inevitable consequences. I was trapped in a vicious cycle. I'd lost all control. I'd lost the power of choice. I thought, it won't hurt me this time, or I'll just be till midnight, or I'll start on Monday, or they made this dessert just for me, and it'll hurt their feelings if I don't eat it. I know I'll restrict during the week and eat whatever I want on the weekend, or I'll just go off my program during our vacation and get right back on when we get home, or I'll eat in moderation. I did have a built-in forgetter. Sometimes I gave it no thought at all and just picked up the food. My truth is I couldn't stop eating once I started, and I couldn't stop from starting. I was drowning in a sea of food. An obese, unhappy, self-loathing woman of 50 who'd never grown up. I was resigned to certain death. This disease had me beat. Something was broken in my head. I was without defense against my cravings, and my compulsion to keep on eating could not be denied. I was without power. And then a friend brought me to my first OA meeting, and I heard members of OA say that I needed a power source outside myself, and if I could accept and tap into it, there was a solution available for me provided I was willing to get to work. And I was. I had no choice. OA members threw me a life preserver, and I grasped on, and it saved my life. I began to trust that a higher power that they spoke of might be there for me too, and through it I might be transformed. The 12 Steps, this book, your shares and generosity, And the work I was asked to do every day opened up a new world of possibilities. Living my life, practicing the disciplines outlined in the 12 steps, I found I experienced a freedom from compulsive overeating. The promises really did start to come true, and they can for you. That is my promise. Thank you so much for allowing me this honor. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. If you would like to share on this third paragraph on page 24 in the big book and haven't shared on this meeting in the past couple of days, please press star 1 to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Katie G from Boston. I heard Katie G. I heard Ida A. I heard Larry K. Kim G. I heard Kim G. Rowena K. I heard Rowena K. 
Judith R. Sandy S. And I heard Judith R. And Devorah S. And I'm wait one second. Don't say anything after Devorah. Sandy S. And Devorah. But Devorah what? S. S. Okay. We have. I know there were others. I know someone chimed in the same time as Katie, and I thought I had it, and I lost it. I'm sorry. Katie G, Ida A, Larry K, Kim G, Rowena K, Judith R, Sandy S, and Devora S. Katie G, please go right ahead. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, fellows. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic in Boston. So grateful for this paragraph. And for me, it's talking about, um, you know, I lived in a world in OA in which I believed if I could just think the right thing, I wouldn't go back to the food, right? But this is telling me first, ego, it's not going to burn me this time. So here's how, right? Like I got this. I have power, choice, or control. Or maybe I don't think at all. Maybe I don't think at all. Maybe I'm just like, you know what? I haven't had any Oreo cookies recently. I deserve them. Here we go. And then I'm like, wait, (laughs) what happened? And then I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to stop at the fourth box of Oreo cookies. And I'm like, you know what? I'll start tomorrow. And I'm you know, there's no right way of thinking. Like, there's no way to outthink this disease, and I didn't know that. Um, And a lot of times I hear on this meeting, I was in denial. Okay, maybe. Denial means to to refuse to admit the truth. But what my book teaches me is I have delusional thinking, false, psychotic beliefs. And, um, you know, uh, you know, people say, oh, the craziest thing I ever did with the food was, you know, I went dumpster diving, done that, drank Ipecac, done that. The most delusional, psychotic thing I ever did was in a state of abstinence going back to the food. I have crazy, delusional thinking. I tell myself all of these lies or the truth. I mean, that's the thing, like, or the truth, like, you know what? I don't freaking care. You think this food is going to get a hold of me? Like, and I believe that to my core. You know, I remember first going into my, my first relapse and thinking, I don't eat no matter what, no matter what, and like mocking people in OA and saying, I'm going to eat at you. You know, and so the insanity of my disease is there's no like one way of thinking or not thinking or controlling. I am without defense. I am without defense. Step one is really ugly. No power, no choice, and no control. But the best part of step one is there's hope. Why? Because if I have no power, no power, no choice, and no control, then there is power. By accepting step one into my life, I accept that there is a power bigger than me because I have no power. And something else is making this universe work. Thank you, God. And what I find today as a recovered woman, if I'm not willing to do any step, it's all a step one issue. If I'm not willing to pause when agitated or doubtful, if I'm not willing to call my mother-in-law, if I'm not willing, you know, to sit with the discomfort, it's because I think I have power, choice, or control around this food. And thank you, God, today, I am clear. I have no power, no choice, and no control, and I need a power. Rebecca, thanks. I'm uh, grateful for your service. Without a pass. Katie, gee, thank you. Ida A., 
Hi, good morning. Ida A. from Northern British Columbia, grateful compulsive overeater. And thank you all for being here today. And thank you for moderating, Rebecca. I am delusional and I'm dishonest and I forget. (laughs) So I'm either playing God, it won't burn me this time, meaning for this compulsive overeater, whatever I eat, I just magically think I won't gain weight this time or I won't get sick. I've been delusional for decades. And um, and then it's like, oh, my God, how did I get started again on this eating spree? As though I wake up in the middle of this gluttonous episode, and then one second later, I convince myself, okay, okay, down the road, just, just after a few more donuts, after a few more burgers, after a few more ice cream stops, then I'll just start over again. And then the grand finale, I feel sorry for myself. And I dumpster dive into that self-pity. <laughs> it's amazing to read this. So many years before I was born, they had my number. They knew who I was. That's me. I just dumpster dive into self-pity. And what's the use anyway? Poor me. And I feel sorry for myself. And that's, today I see that is so dishonest that if I could see a video of myself, I shoot myself in my foot and I feel sorry for myself. That is amazing. I'm absolutely helpless unless I get out of that cycle. But then I forget because I do have the disease of forgetting. And and today I can see that compulsive overeating is is akin to suicide on the installment plan. And I really didn't see that before, that this compulsive eating really is a violent act that's that springs from my mind, and, and and it's and it's and it's an unwell mind when I'm in the food, and it is cruel and unusual punishment. You know, I am being so hurtful to myself. So those of you that are out there that are on the lines and are still in the food, I get you for decades. I get you, and today I can accept that I'm powerless. I'm not hopeless and I'm not helpless. I need God and I need all of you because I forget. I need to surrender many, 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 many times each day. And that's okay. It's my medicine and and it's my hope. Love and blessings to all. I pass. Thanks so much, Ida Ida A. Larry K., you're next. Becca, good morning. Thanks so much. Larry K. recovered uh, this morning. The, you know, the um, I'm glad there's a solution. We're in this chapter, and, and you know, where it says, "For God's sake, how did I ever get started again?" See, the writers of the book they they knew me pretty well. They knew that a person like me that had this allergy of the body, and I I, I also had this twisted alcoholic mind. I could never stay stopped from picking up my substance unless I underwent an effective uh, spiritual transformation. So. You know, if I didn't follow these instructions, which I did not, I did not follow these instructions in this book. I did not work the steps in sequence. And then, you know, the likelihood of me um, becoming inwardly restructured where I'm brought into, you know, some sort of congruence with this higher power, not perfect congruence, but congruence, alignment, that was never going to happen. It was, it was nil, the, the, the opportunity there. And here was the catch that I didn't understand. Here was the rub for someone like me of this, this alcoholic of, of this hopeless variety. If I don't experience a psychic change, the, the problem is my sobriety is going to be transitory. It's going to be 
temporary. And, and there are some people that are able to really stay abstinent and lose weight for a good period of time. I'm talking alcoholics with this alcoholic mind and the allergy of the body. And it can appear that they're, they're recovered. And I, I remember experiencing some of that and that I was not recovered because I had not, eventually I would be derailed. Eventually the other shoe would drop. It was only a matter of time. And, and, and the writers of this book knew that because if all I ever get from my recovery is built on a foundation of dishonesty and I'm not tapping into God's power, this higher power, then I'm going to put the food first at some point. It's going to, it's going to, I can't outrun it. And I have to put my higher power first. And, and you can tell someone who's doing that because they are not suffering from the effects of this disease anymore. And once we do that, there's no more pounding on the bar. There's no more wondering how we got to this point again and again and again. There's no more ex, you know, exclamations, what's the use anyhow? I had to find the solution. I had to submerge my ego, submerge my, my disbelief and work the steps and then see what happens. And I'm thankful that there was a solution. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Larry Kay. Kim G. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, I love these questions here. You know, back on page 20, we had a bunch of questions that people who are non-compulsive overeaters ask us that make no sense to me. You know, the take it or leave alone, that idea of, Someone tell me, oh, just cut it in half and have the rest tomorrow or put the picture of your favorite supermodel on the refrigerator and that way you won't open it up. I mean, that makes no sense to me. Now, here are questions that I ask myself that I can't answer. You know, God, for God's sake, how do I get started again? So I'm being flooded with memories of how these questions manifest in my head with my own eating history. You know, this idea of what's the use anyhow. I, you know, I joined a gym and was committed to learn to be that bulimic that I was taught in, in a sorority, and I lost a lot of weight, and they asked me to write a, you know, a testimony, and I had a memorial with a before and after picture on there, and was doing well, and I remember walking out after a good workout thinking, you know what, this was a really good workout, I'm just going to have a slice of pizza. And because of that allergy, I gained my weight back, and I was embarrassed to go back to that gym because now I look like the before picture again. You know, what's the use anyhow? You know, I so remember many times thinking I'm going to be a good coworker and I'll buy a dozen donuts and Dunkin' Donuts, but I'm just going to have my one donut when I drive to work. But on the, by the time I get to work, I've eaten six of them, and who the heck buys six donuts? So what's the use anyhow when I finish off the other six donuts before I go into work? That nonchalant way. I remember after having some accidents in Overeaters Anonymous and being in line at a grocery store, and, they just, and seeing at the counter, there's white chocolate peanut butter, peanut butter cups. And I've never had white chocolate peanut butter cups. How could I die not having tried white chocolate peanut butter cups? Therefore, in that nonchalant way, I'm just going to have them and I'm going to get that track on, back on track tomorrow, which, of course, never happens. And this whole idea, uh, well, it won't burn me this time. That's the genesis. That's the genesis of my bulimia. You know, I remember one time that I was an exercise bulimic and I had started eating stuff and I was a human calculator of how many calories I would have to, to use on the elliptical in order to burn that off and I lost track. 
and I dumped the trash can. I'm digging through the trash, trying to add up all the calories. And I just started rocking back and forth because I realized I must look like a heroin addict digging for, for needles. So these sentences here tell me what are those questions I ask myself because I don't understand the disease. I don't understand the allergy. I don't understand the mental obsession. All I know is that I want to feel whole and I don't know how to do that except to try to dig my hand in that, ba in that bag or that box again. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim G. Rowena K. Hi, this is Rowena Ro K. There you are. Hi, Rowena. Hello. Um, yeah, the way I relate to this paragraph is that um, it's me bargaining with myself, you know, like before I found OA and, and even after I found OA, um, the only way I could um, justify, you know, a binge would be if I promised myself that, um, you know, tomorrow I'd be good, you know, and I'd have like this great plan, you know, starting tomorrow, um, you know, restrict, um, you know, exercise like a mad woman. Um, and, and as long as I did that, then it, I was okay to go, you know, ahead with the binge. Um, and then, you know, I think I was promising myself I'd be good because I thought I was being bad when I was binging. I didn't know that I had a an illness. I didn't know that I was powerless. Um, and, um, you know, and then suddenly I'd start to feel happy and excited about getting my binge foods. Um, and everything be, would be great, you know, until the next morning when I woke up and, you know, then it was like, how did I get here? You know, how did this happen? Um, and the next morning, you know, I'd go and get whatever it is I didn't finish the night before out of the bin or wherever I'd put it and all my big plans for, you know, um, dieting uh, went out the window. Um, and, you know, this is true for all of my addictions. Um, and nowadays, because um, I'm abstinent in the food, um, I'm actually present to, to see my thought processes around, around life and, and just, you know, what's going on in my head. Um, and I know that what I've learned from OA is that I have to give up arguing with my addict because um, the addict is always one step ahead of me and I have no defense, you know. Um, so I know now that I have to hand everything over to a power greater than me. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Rowena Kay. Judith R., Judith, are you there? We can't hear you, Judith. Are oh. I'm here. I'm here. here. You are. Thank you so much, Judith. Are gratefully recovered in Vermont. Thank you for Rebecca for your service. Um, the calling card of the disease is the simple phrase: "What's the use?" Because I remember the disease came up with a very clever thing that it used to use on me, which was, what's the use? I'm going to bug you until you give in. So you might as well give in now. Because if you don't give in and eat that which you are desiring, I'm going to bug you two minutes from now, 
and a minute after that and an hour after that, I'm going to bug you for the next 24 hours and you're never going to get away alive. So you might as well give in now. And now, retrospectively, I realized that was a lie because the disease doesn't, it can't keep up for 24 hours and God gets in there and that that incessant desire can go away if and when I'm doing all 12 steps. And because of step 10, I don't have to worry about this anymore because I have neutrality around food, thank heaven. The other thing I wanted to say is that I've always wondered what where nonchalant came from. So I looked it up and it, it chalant is to heat. So it's when you're not heated about something. So when you're keeping your cool about something. The other way they say is it could come from a different word, which would be not concerned, which is really crazy for us not to be concerned if we're about to ruin our life again by taking the food back. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Judith R. Sandy S. Hi. Hi, this is Sandy S. from Asheville. Yeah, what's the use anyhow? You know, that's the hopelessness. That's the core of the illness for me. And for me, I've been abstinent a very long time. And it's so important. The food is, is, I mean, I had a spiritual experience. The food is just not something that ever comes to my mind as a solution. It comes to my mind as sticking my hand in a fire. Would I do that? Um, but it needs to be renewed every single day. So I just want to say my worst, one of my worst moments was when I was at a friend's house that I really loved in Maine visiting, and they didn't have a regular septic tank situation. <laughs> I don't know what kind of toilets they have in Maine at that time. I was eating and throwing up like a bandit, um, but I didn't want to throw up in the uh, toilets. I was throwing up in paper bags garbage, you know, that you get from the store, three in the morning. My friend comes into the bathroom where I am throwing up in the bags or into my room. I think I was throwing up in bags in my room and says to me, get out of my house. She said, take your bags, your bags of vomit and your suitcase and get out. And I remember just, she packed me up. We took her car drove me to the bus station, dropped me off with my bags of vomit and suitcase. I never heard from her again, never was able to make amends to her. So I don't even know her last name or how I would locate her. But that was the worst. Somebody I really admired, looked up to, you know, harming them and her husband. She said, my husband is an anxious type. He cannot take your throwing up in or the, your whole thing here. Just get out. So I remember that. And I think, okay, that's what I get from the first compulsive bite. And what do I get from really relying on a higher power? What I get is I get freedom from fear because that is the core of my overeating. This intense fear that I find unbearable to, to, to live with. And the only thing that can get rid of that fear is a higher power. And I just experienced it last night. I mean, the fear comes back, man. It's the fear of losing someone I really love, my husband, 
and I mean, due to health situations, and, and I make it worse. And as I was walking along, doing a 10-step outside, in the fear, it was suddenly lifted. I just want to share that. And what happened was I looked over at my neighbor's house, and there in the deck they had this fire pit that they just put in. It was so startling. It just shifted everything. I just want to share with everyone, do not give up five minutes before the miracle, and you never know when that's going to happen. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Sandy S. Devorah S. Hi, good morning, and thank you so much, Rebecca, and everyone on this line that makes this meeting possible. My name is Devorah S., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. And once again, I am in, in amazement how, you know, this book, these people fought the way I what I thought, the things I said to myself, they said then, and, uh, you know, and I say it again, you know, today, these are the things I said, you know, coming in, you know, with this disease that I've had with me my whole life, you know, what's the use anyway, you know, when the scales were topping 280 pounds, and, you know, I was having health problems and everything, so I just said, okay, so this is, this is it, this is my lot in life, okay, so be it, you know, I'm just going to be a fat, miserable person, and and that's it. That's God's will for me. Oh yeah, that's God's will for me. And um, so, thank you, God. You know, I I hit a I hit a point that I just I I, I someone someone shared their program with me. You know, honestly, and um, and I was able to hear. You know, I was able to hear, and I had to put away, put down my agenda and my way of thinking. Um, to listen and go to a meeting and hear other people share how they weren't being like that anymore. Um, they were they they were telling their story and doing what they did, but they weren't doing that today. And it gave me a lot of hope. And um, you know, and each day I need to be reminded because, like I, you know, you know, when you hear on this meeting, you know, all action is born in thought and. You know, and I see it so clearly now. Like, you know, my best way of thinking was just just picking up the food and eating. That was it. Like, all roads led to that that way of thinking. That um, you know, whatever was going on, you know, it was just the answer was in the food. Um, and um, you know, and thank God because of these this program and the steps that we take each day, you know, that's not the solution today. Um, you know, we're in this chapter, there is a solution, and there is a solution, there's one solution, and the solution is here in these steps, and I don't have to eat again, and that brings me a lot, a lot of hope, you know, no matter what's going on in my life today, and believe me, it's not always just, it's not always peaches and cream, thank God, you know, like life happens, but I'm not eating today, and I'm living in the solution, and the solution is here in these steps. And, you know, coming here to this meeting and listening to everyone, you know, share their experience, you know, around this just solidifies it even more. So I'm just so grateful to have another day today um, to live in the truth, you know, and to not live in this way of thinking and in these lies. Um, Because, um, you know, God's will for me today is not to be eating. Um, you know, that was a lie I told myself. You know, God's will for me today is to be a fat max, to get out of myself, 
put my ego down and to be of maximum service to other people today. And, um, and I look forward to that, to see what opportunities I have to serve other people and to be of service to God. And what a difference that is from the life that I came from, where it was all about me and my next binge. So I'm just so grateful to be part of life today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deborah S. Well, if you got on late, just want you to know we read the third paragraph on page 24, The Alcoholic May Say to Himself. And if you haven't shared in the past couple of days and would like to, we have about six slots. And is Elizabeth one of the names I missed last time? Maybe not. I, that came to me afterwards. Who would like to share? I'd like yes, to share. Fran from New Jersey. Fran M. I heard of Fran. Fran M. Fran I heard Anita J. Wait one second. And then I heard Nancy H., I believe, correct? Yes. Okay. Kelly and who else was it? Kelly S. someone? Kelly S. maybe? Yeah. And who else? Cynthia C. Somebody C. Cynthia. Cynthia C. And one more. Ernette. Annette? Yes, Ernette J. Okay. Is that O or A net? Ernette, E-R. Ernette. E R N? Yes. Ernette J. Yes. Thank you. I have Fran M, Anita J, Nancy H, Kelly S, Cynthia C, and Ernette J. Please go ahead, Fran M. Hi, this is Fran M from New Jersey. Thanks so much for letting me share. Um, and thanks, Barbara, for your um, reading and discussion and everybody else. I just wanted to share, in case there are people who are anorexic or under-eaters or restrictors, um, I came in as a binge-starve eater, but my disease was kicked off by actually starting to restrict when I was a very thin normal weight teenager and just decided that I had this terrible fear of getting fat. And of course, that was the beginning of starving. And then the starving led to binging. And then eventually I did become an overeater in addition to an undereater. But I just want to say, in case there are any undereaters or restrictors or anorexics on the line, and I know everybody thinks this is like absurd, but it really is the same disease, believe me. I've been in the program for 40 years and I know all sides of it. And it's the same mental twist. When I stand over my scale and I'm supposed to have two ounces of a certain item and I say, you know what? It's 1.5, and I don't really need the second half ounce. Or when I stand in front of those two cookies that I have for dessert, and I do eat sugar, I can take it or leave it. There's a strange mental twist that will say to me, you know what, why not just have one? I really didn't do that much exercise today. And that sets me off, and it gets me obsessing and thinking, and it does the same thing that it does to a compulsive overeater. My body starts getting very hungry, and it starts thinking only about food and when I will next have my next meal. And that's as distracting and takes you out of life and as escapist as a binge. I know because I've done both. I've eaten half gallons. I've eaten till my stomach was ready to burst. I could gain 30 pounds in a month. I could lose 30 pounds in a month. The disease is the same. And the only reason I wanted to share is the same mental twist 
that overtakes the alcoholic, overtakes me, when I stand in front of that plate and I say, I've committed to eating the whole meal. It's a perfectly normal meal. It will be nourishing. It will be delicious. It will fill me up. And I will look at it and say, you know what? I don't really need to eat all of this. And then I get high. And I feel like I have this power and I'm in control and I'm on my own. And that takes me out. It takes me out as much as an assassin's bullet would take someone out. It takes me out as much as a binge used to take me out. It takes me out. And so I relate when I forget whether it was Larry who was sharing about the mental twist, but I just wanted to describe what it's like for the anorexic and the restrictor because I think it's really the same disease, and I just wanted people to know that, that it's a disease that just has to do with compulsive eating. It doesn't only come in the overeating form, though I know the overeating form well. Okay, thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you, Fran M. Anita J. Hey, thank you so much, um, Rebecca. This is Anita J. Recovered out in Massachusetts. Very gratefully recovered because I finally, finally realized this book is all about me, not just alcoholics. I think I wanted to say that I, I relate to nonchalant, this most nonchalant way, or perhaps he didn't think at all. And that is me. You know, they used to say you're only as sick as your secrets. And it's, it's the secrets and lies I kept from myself that, that has killed me. But the thing is, I have been this chronic relapser since 1978. I could tell you all the, you know, terrible eating I did, and, and um, but that's not necessary. I'm hearing wonderful descriptions of it. It's just that I did it forever. I did it forever because each time in this nonchalant way, I'd pick up and then pound my fist on the bar. The thing is, I guess it was good. People in the meetings used to say, it's in God's time, Anita. It's in God's time, and I'd feel better. It would at least let me show up again. It takes, you know, you all know, going back in the rooms when, you know, you'd want to go back in the rooms once you lost the weight again. No, 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 that never worked. Never worked for me. The thing is, I guess what I wanted to say is, um, this God's time business, you know how we can create a God of our own understanding? And, you know, I think, well, what kind of a God would make me wander around for 36 years thinking I got it and still and still keep picking up, picking up? And um, I finally realized God can only do so much. He can only do so much. I had to take the action. I'm the one who had to let the mask drop, the mask drop, and tell tell the world, you know, I can't do it anymore. And the crazy thing is I never could do it anymore. I never could. But finally I realized it too. And um, what a difference it's made 
I think what my God did for me was he never gave up on me. That's the thing. He never gave up on me. And now uh, the mask is gone. This is me, folks. <laughs> and I'm happy about it. Isn't that a riot? I'm very grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Nancy H. Good morning. This is Nancy H. from Massachusetts, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. Um, this paragraph I can relate to in some ways, and in other ways it was a little bit different. Um, when I say you know, to myself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, what I'm doing is I'm just using that as an excuse, but I'm playing Russian roulette. And often there are times that I've, after, actually after 17 years of not binging, I went to the Walmart one day and I just grabbed, looked at the food and I said, this is not a good idea, this is not a good idea. God, you know this is not a good idea. I don't want to do it. But you know what? I was picking up that pastry and putting it in my carriage at the same time as I was saying that. And what I did was I gave myself permission to eat because I could say that I'm going to go right back on it after I buy this. Except that as soon as I bought that or put it in the carriage, I started to rev up and I could think of all the things I hadn't had in 17 years and I needed to try some of them. So I went around the store, got $35 worth of binge foods, Went to the counter. As I was checking out, I was saying, you should tell the girl you don't want this. Really, you should tell the girl you don't want this. So I didn't go without thought or nonchalantly. I went with a lot of thought, but I didn't care because of the mental obsession. I told myself that I would go back on it tomorrow. And, um, and saying that I'll stop after this was a joke because I knew better than that. And I also uh, was living in the steps at the time, and I knew that there was no way that I should be picking up the food, period. Because, and I even said to myself, this could turn into a binge. This could turn into a lot of binges. But I made myself feel better because I'm going to buy this, sit in the car and eat it, and then I'm going to be done. So the next day, um, I tried to uh, stop, and of course I couldn't. And what scared me the most was when I used to be, I'd lay on the couch and I'd eat non you know, non-stop, two hours on, two hours off. And I would say to myself, okay, this is it. I'm not going to have any more. And all of a sudden it was... No, this isn't it. As soon as I finish this binge food, tomorrow I'm going to go buy some more. And that really, really put the scare in me. It didn't do any good for about four months. I still kept eating. but And then I realized I didn't want to stop. So that scared me even more. And so for me, uh, I have to keep remembering. I'm glad to go through this paragraph today because I have to keep remembering that it was that bad when I picked up. And no, I'm not going to stop tomorrow. And I wish that there was a way I could stop, but I'm not made that way. So for me, I just have to keep going one day at a time, and I have to remember every single day that it was that bad. Even if I tell myself, well, you know, I was in the food, then my sponsor reminds me, you've been in the food, you were in the food for four months, and you were telling me you couldn't get off the couch to take a shower. So I'm reminded everywhere how awful it was when I was eating, and I'm so darn grateful today that I'm not eating compulsively. It's been about, I don't know, maybe it'll be almost five months. And what what makes me feel the greatest happiness is to be abstinent just for today. So thank you for letting me share. I pass. Rebecca, we don't hear you. I see that, Nancy H. Thank you so much. <laughs> and welcome. thank you for your share. I had calls, but you wouldn't know it. I'm Kelly S. <laughs> hey. Hey, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. It's Kelly S., Recovered Compulsive Reader in Oklahoma. 
Um, oh my gosh, well, this paragraph, as everybody shared, this is me. Um, well, this was me, grateful, not still me. And um, I've done all these things, you know, and um, sadly, I've done this mostly in the program, um, being around these rooms, of course, over half my life. That's not, not hard to say. And so, you know, I think about the different times, you know, I came in these rooms, I've been in these rooms and, you know, I get abstinent, right? I just get abstinent. I've lost my weight a couple times and I would think this is it. This is it. I will never go back. You know, now I know, well, I thought I knew and I'm not going to put this weight back on. I'm not going to get back in the food. And then before I know it, I'd be back in it and I'd be thinking, I really meant it. I was not ever going to gain this weight again. You know, I'm in OA. I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm doing all these retreats. I'm doing all this stuff. I am not going to go back. And there I was back again, you know, and then, you know, I would think about the different times too. It says, you know, this time it won't burn me. Um, or he doesn't think at all, you know, but sometimes I just had to eat, you know, and Bill talks about, you know, it quit being a luxury and it became a necessity. You know, it's like, it didn't matter. So sometimes I wasn't having delusional thinking. I knew, but I had to eat. I had to get my fix. But what I really thought I meant was I really was going to start tomorrow. Tomorrow was always, I, I joke and call it my Scarlet O'Hara, O'Hara, um, uh, syndrome, you know, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll think about that tomorrow. I'll start that tomorrow. And I would just binge and binge. And if you do that, because every day that happened to me, the next day, of course, I couldn't get right back on. But tomorrow, I'll start tomorrow. And I really meant it, you guys. I really meant it. And so I would eat with a vengeance. You can put on massive amounts of weight in a short period of time if you continue to eat like that, right? And so I just, um, I just can't even think, you know, sometimes I really meant I would start tomorrow. Sometimes I didn't really care. I had to eat. It became painful. And somebody else already shared this. What I realized later was it's all a step one issue. If I seriously think I can start tomorrow, I am delusionally thinking I have some kind of power over this because why I've shared this before. I had not conceded to my innermost self that I was the real alcoholic. I did not understand. You know, I had, I still had a lurking notion that someday maybe I could eat again, like a normal person, whatever that is. Right. I had not admitted my powerless. I'd say it, but I had no true acceptance that I was a real alcoholic and I didn't understand the solution. And in a couple of days, we're going to talk about that, picking up that spiritual toolkit. And so if you've been this place, if you're in there right now, if you've been around these rooms and you know, you're picking up saying, I'm listening to vision. I'm doing, I keep thinking now that I'm listening to vision, I'm going to understand it. I'm going to do it. Well, guess what? I did that for two years. You got to work the program. So stick around for a couple more days because we're going to get into those paragraphs. Glad to be here. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Kelly S. Cynthia C. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for your service. Um, thank you for everybody for making this meeting happen today and every day. This is Cynthia C., um, compulsive reader and food addict from uh, the Boston area, another Massachusetts person. Um, I, I don't think I have the words to describe the depth of my gratitude for this meeting and this program and for my recovery today. Um, as the tears welling up in my eyes as I listened to the meeting today. Um, on April 20th, I was out of the country, but it was my two-year anniversary of recovery, and I realized I hadn't actually, I, I was with nobody who I could really share that with who really could appreciate it. And I, I 
you know, um, and I'm just back in the country and back from traveling for with my family and for work. And um, I just, this is, I, I needed to sort of, you know, own that here. It's been two years. Um, and I, I am so grateful not to be stuck in that place. I am so, so, so grateful. If you are struggling, please don't give up. Um, you know, I, I remember every day feeling like, oh, I have to get up again because because I was struggling with the food. Every day I felt trapped and I didn't even always know it, but I couldn't stop eating. I had my alcoholic foods. I had chocolate and other candy hidden all over my office at work. I had it hidden all over my bedroom, all over my house. It took me weeks to find all of it. <laughs> Probably some stuff I found months later. I had it hidden just like Bill did all over his house. I had it hidden because I couldn't imagine functioning without my binge food. I couldn't cope. I just couldn't cope. And I and I have what I, you know, for the 14 years in Weight Watchers, I had what I called food amnesia. I couldn't, you know, I'd go to a meeting at Weight Watchers, I'd get weighed in. I would say, well, this week is going to be different. I'd walk out of the meeting and probably within 24 hours I was binging. Like I couldn't stop. There was nothing that I could do that would let me stop. And it wasn't until I really felt guided by my higher power to come to back to Overeaters Anonymous where where I just felt this gift and it, and I just and I prayed and I prayed constantly for God to just grant me the willingness to be willing, grant me the willingness to do the next right step. I could not get abstinent on my own. I could not get the willingness on my own. I had to pray. I there was nothing in this program that I could do on my own. I needed to pray for God. I needed to pray for the willingness. I needed to be willing to really, really rethink who, you know, to, uh, I was totally powerless. I could not control it. But I could not do it on my own. And it was only truly when I could turn my will and my life over to higher power. And I had to rethink who was my higher power, you know, because the higher power I had from my childhood was not a loving and kind one. It was a punishing. And I needed to, I needed to like really give up that perception. I just want to say I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for everybody. Thank you, Cynthia C. Arnette J., we're a little short on time. If you could maybe pare it down a little less than three minutes would be great. Go right ahead, Arnette J. Arnette? Star one to unmute, Ernest. I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Oh, here you are. Yes. Go right ahead. Good. I just wanted to share this morning um, on on what great shares we had. And, um, you know, it just reminds me of this 24-hour reprieve that we have because we all suffer with, you know, this disease. You know, it doesn't go anywhere. And all we do is give it to our higher power, and, and we get to have that next 24-hour reprieve. And so for those of us that, you know, are having these temptations and dealing with this head-on, you know, um, this 24 hours is all we have to get through. We let tomorrow worry about tomorrow, you know, and we make these choices based on on that, you know. Um, we give it to, to God, whom I choose to call my God, um, 
you know, we give it to him and we work sometimes minute by minute to try to get through the next thing. But the, but the idea of it all is that it does work, is that when we get through this minute, the next minute gets a little bit easier. And so we just continuously work the program and just continue to make it um, through the day. And so I just really wanted to share about that real quick and thank you for allowing me to share. Okay. Oh, thank you so much, Ernette J. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Monday, May 6, 2019, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 12,864. That's 12864. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lisa B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Good morning. Good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.